All right, good morning. It is a real pleasure to be here. Um, every time your pastor calls me, I see his number on my cell phone. I really hope it's because he wants me to preach. It usually is, and I get really excited about it. This is a fantastic church to be at. I've loved singing the songs we've sung together, and it is just fantastic. We are going to turn to the book of Jonah chapter 4. Now, some of you I may not have met before. I have been out here a few times. I actually know that this is the fourth time I've been out here because the first time out here I preached Jonah chapter 1. The next time I was out here, I preached Jonah chapter 2, and then last time I preached Jonah chapter 3. If you ever are aspiring preachers out there and you think, should I preach a four-chapter sermon and spread it over like two years? It's been almost two years since the first time here. That is really not how you're supposed to preach things, but I just love this book and I love these messages, so I did it anyway, okay? I don't always follow the book. I hope I always follow this book, but maybe not the other, you know, whatever book the the figurative one is. But we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, okay? Now, Jonah, this is the end of the story of Jonah. It's the last chapter. It's honestly the most important chapter, but it is the one that we leave off the most because it has the most difficult message, okay? Jonah, if you stop at Jonah chapter 3 where it was last time, which is kind of how I remember it being taught when I was in Sunday school, Jonah is a happy book with a happy ending, but we're actually going to find out it's not that way. But this is important to know, a little thing to help you as you study the Bible when you read narratives. A lot of preachers don't preach narratives because they're more difficult to teach because you have to look for the message. I actually think that their story, that stories stick with you better, right? Do you remember, how many of you learned Bible stories as a young child and you forgot a lot of Bible verses, but you remember the stories? Is that true for anybody? Okay, I think that's important. I like, and by the way, about 70% of the Bible is narrative, so I think that's important to the Lord too. So here's a good hint for you when you read a story in general in life, but especially in the Bible, if you're looking for the meaning of that story, this is why some people have a hard time teaching them, we don't start and say, here is a story about, and then tell the story. We tell the story and let the story connect, and then where do you find the meaning of a story? It's not at the beginning, but it's at the end. And so if we miss the end of Jonah, we miss the whole story. So today, we're going to, to sum up this book of Jonah. Now, I realize that by stretching this over two years, probably very few of you have heard Jonah 1, Jonah 2, and chapter 3 from me. In fact, a lot of you may not have ever met me and wonder why am I talking about sermons already preached here when you come here every Sunday and you never see me. I go to Calvary, Alexandria, and I'm glad to be here in Woodworth this morning. So let me quickly summarize Jonah chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Otherwise, you'll be like me. Me and my wife watch movies, and I'm awake for the beginning, and I'm awake for the end. End, and they're tying all the loose ends together, and I don't know what they're tying together because guess what I was doing in the middle half? Yeah, surely, uh, she loves when I do that. It's fantastic. And then I'll ask questions. Who is that person? You know, anyway, all right. So here, let me do this. Let me summarize so you're not like me watching a movie. I'll do it quick. In Jonah chapter, and by the way, I don't have to summarize too much because I doubt this is the first time most of you have heard the story of Jonah, okay? But, um, I, every time I read the book of Jonah, and I've read it hundreds of times, literally, because I've preached the message, and I've stu- I had a whole class where we studied Jonah and Hebrew in school. I've heard it hundreds of times. This morning, I read the book of Jonah again, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Y'all got me? So I think the Bible's an amazing book, isn't it? Such a rich book. 
I knew this story when I was three years old and understood it, and I'm still learning about it now. I think that's pretty great. The Bible's the only book like that. But here we go. Jonah chapter 1 started like this. The Lord came to this guy named Jonah. Jonah is a, he's a Hebrew. He's a prophet. Okay? He's a Hebrew and he's a prophet. He's in a country called Israel. It's a kingdom that is supposed to be the Lord's kingdom. But they're not generally very good at following him. So Jonah's one of the people that's there to bring the people back to the Lord, to give them a word of the Lord to follow. Okay, so that's what happens with, that's where, who Jonah is, but Jonah gets a very unexpected word. Jonah gets told, hey, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, which is crazy because Jonah wanted to be a prophet in Israel and tell them about the Lord, and Nineveh were their sworn enemies. The Ninevites were very, very, very awful. They were violent. They were pagans. They, I cannot describe to you how terrible they were. They were genocidal maniacs, basically, if you were to read your history. They're part of the Assyrian Empire. If you look up the Assyrians, you'll be horrified. I won't give you the gory details. All right. So here is the deal. Jonah's told to go to the Ninevites, and you know the story. Does Jonah go to the Ninevites? No, he goes the opposite direction. He, the Ninevites are in the desert. He gets on a boat and goes the other way. And what we said, Jonah chapter 1 showed, was the unlimited sovereignty of God. Because you see, all the other nations worshipped gods who were very limited. If you didn't like what your God did, you just ran away from your God. Because if your God was the God over Moab and you left Moab, there was another God there. Now, Jonah knew that the God of Israel was actually the one true living God who was different. But he wanted to limit God. Because let me be honest, it's very tempting to limit God so we can do what we want to do. I would simply say this way, the Bible says that God created man in his image, but I would say that what, re, what the religion of men does is it recreates God in our image. You got, when God tells us something we don't like, we just check, that's why you'll hear, well, my God's not like that. You hear that said a lot by people, right? And generally what's happening is people are trying to redefine God to be who they want him to be. Um, a very famous pastor named Tim Keller said, that if your God never offends you, then you have a God of your own making. I probably messed up that quote a little bit. But in other words, sometimes I realize I'm different than God, and it's me who's supposed to change, not me who's supposed to change God. But Jonah tries to change God. He says, you know what, I'll go somewhere else, and I'll, you know, that way I'll get away from God. We all know the story. You can't get away from God. God is sovereign over everywhere on earth. He is sovereign over all people. He is sovereign over the sea, and he sends a storm, and Jonah is about to die. And in fact, the sailors throw him in the sea so the Lord will comment. And it looks like Jonah's going to die. And we see that we, one thing, we better obey the Lord, okay? And second thing that we see is that, you know, God is a God of unlimited sovereignty. He is a God without limits. And then we got to chapter 2. Actually, technically, we get introduced to the most famous, although it's not, when you really read the book of Jonah, he's not that significant of a character. But the last verse of chapter 1, we get invented, in, in, introduced to the most famous character in the book of Jonah. That is the, see, I'm hearing well, and some people are saying fish. The Bible says fish, but they're not biologists. I don't know. There is a very large sea animal 
who swallows Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is actually, we're going to learn today, it's not even really about Jonah, but it's definitely not about the fish. The fish actually only shows up in one chapter. But the fish is there as the Lord's way of saving Jonah, but also there's a lesson to be taught because chapter 2 of Jonah, Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and he has a lot, there's not a lot to do in the belly of a fish. Okay, he did not have his PlayStation with him or anything like that, and so nothing to do. So he spent a lot of time praying and reflecting, rethinking his life's choices, okay? And you know what he does? He expresses a lot of hope in the Lord. So Jonah's done bad, but he actually sings a song, and here's what the song is about. It's about the mercy of the Lord. He asks God for mercy. He sings about God's mercy. He expresses hope in the future. And and the last thing he prays before the fish vomits him up is he makes a declaration that salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's a reminder of this, that we've all had times where we've done what Jonah did. We probably haven't physically run from the Lord, but if we changed God to suit our needs? Have we disobeyed the Lord when what he expects from us goes up against what we think we should do? But it's a reminder of this. God is a God who punishes and judges. Jonah says this from the belly of a fish, but God is a God who hears our prayer, and God is a God who gives mercy, and God is a God who saves even rotten sinners like Jonah. And it was an important message. That is good news. Of course, we call the good news the gospel. We're going to talk some more about that. But then it goes to chapter 3, which is really about Jonah's second chance. It's what I talked about last time we were here, and the Lord gives him another chance. He says, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah gets up, obeys the Lord, and goes to Nineveh. And there's an amazing lesson taught there because the Ninevites were the most violent and brutal and horrible people in the whole world. But Jonah gets there, he goes into the city, and he preaches the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is a hellfire and brimstone message when Jonah preaches. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people hear it. And you know what happens when these awful, terrible Ninevites hear the word of the Lord? You know what they do? They believe it. And they are just ripped apart by their sin. They feel terrible. They cry. They weep. They they do outward signs of weeping. They sit on ashes and they wear sackcloth and they rip their clothes. And they they are torn apart. And they express sorrow. And it uses the word repent. They turn from their evil ways. They turn their hearts and they turn their actions. And and they don't know the full gospel, but they say perhaps God will repent of what he's going to do if we repent of what we've been doing. And it says that the Lord chose not to do the evil he had chosen to do to Nineveh. And the message of chapter 3, this is a very important gospel message. It's this, that when you hear about the judgment of God, If you will repent and you will turn to God and you will call out to him, then it does not matter what you have done. The Lord is a God who forgives. He is a God who gives salvation. He is a God who gives mercy to the worst of sinners. And that even when Nineveh will repent, the Lord will forgive them. Isn't that a great message? Now, I told you when I was in Sunday school, that's where we stopped because that gives Jonah a very, very happy ending, right? Sadly, 
Um, if you say, hey man, Jonah, that's a great story of redemption. I like that guy. Wait till you get see chapter 4. All right, so we're going to be in the book of Jonah, chapter 4. I already told you that. And so what we do, Jonah, it, has very, it not only, only has four chapters, but they're short chapters. And Jonah, chapter 4, is only 11 verses. All right, it appears that I did not mark it in the correct place in my Bible, but now I found it. All right, so I was not a Bible drill champion. I'm sorry. All right, so here we go. Jonah, chapter 4. We're going to take these bit by bit, and we're going to stop from time to time and just kind of talk about what's going on, and then we're going to have four important points at the end that we can apply in our own lives to Jonah chapter 4. So here we go. Um, Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Let me stop right there. This is an amazing, this is a fit that Jonah is throwing. He is a grown man, prophet of God, and he is throwing an absolute tantrum for a weird reason, okay? So Jonah is a missionary who's been sent around the world to tell people the gospel, and he does it reluctantly and after a lot of poking and him, but he eventually shows up. He preaches the message, and the people hear it, and this entire huge mega city repents and turns to the Lord. You would think Jonah is very excited and happy now, right? Like he's done something great, and he's angry. And you know what? He's angry for a weird reason, because his, he has a complaint against God. He says, I knew you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's actually a quote that shows up several times in the Old Testament. It's, it's part of the worship liturgy of the ancient Hebrews. Okay? It shows up again and again as this thing of worship. So Jonah's repeating something he's heard in worship his whole life. That's supposed to be great things. A gracious God, merciful, patient, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I mean, aren't those the kinds of things we get up here and sing about the Lord together? You see, this gets us to what Jonah's problem is. See, when I was a kid and I heard this story, I thought Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was scared. What if they harm me? What if they make fun of me? I mean, have you ever known you needed to tell somebody something from the Lord and you didn't do it because you were scared? I've done that a lot, <laughs> a whole lot. Um, but that's not Jonah's motive. You know what Jonah's motive is this. He doesn't want to go because he wants God to destroy Nineveh. The reason Jonah does not obey the word of the Lord is not out of fear. It is out of hatred. 
And I'm not saying he hated the Ninevites for no reason. They were brutal and they were terrible. And every bad thing you could think about another country was true about the Ninevites. But his hatred of people who were different than him drove him more than his desire to see people come to salvation. He is, I once heard a preacher preach a message called Jonah, the very worst missionary ever. And that was a extremely appropriate title for that message. I mean, could you imagine a missionary who hated the people so bad he didn't want them to be saved? That's Jonah. And here's what happens. Jonah speaks the praises of the Lord in a negative way because Jonah wants a God who is merciful to people like him and who punishes everybody else. And it poisoned him and it's terrible. The Lord says, do you do well to be angry? You see, here's Jonah's complaint about the Lord, that the Lord will be merciful to all kinds of people, to all nations, to people from all religious backgrounds, to people from all cultures. And no matter what bad things somebody has done, God still wants to show them mercy. God did not come for good Israelites. God came for good Israelites and bad Ninevites. Or That's who the Lord's sending him to. So now let's pick up in verse 5. The Lord says, do you well to be angry? Jonah should be, well, you know, it doesn't make sense that I'm angry about this. That's what a reasonable person would be. Are we going to find that Jonah's reasonable? No. All right, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So here's what's going on. Jonah's sitting in the desert, okay? And I mentioned this back when I did chapter 1. I don't think I brought it up again yet today. Um, The city of Nineveh, we know exactly where it is. It's on the site or the city of current city of Mosul, Iraq, is on the site of Nineveh. I have never been to Iraq. I would be very surprised if there's not a few of you in here who have. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I hear, I hear its climate is, shall we say, a little warmer than is normally comfortable. Is that what you've... Anybody ever talked to somebody who's been to Iraq or been there and you've heard that it's hot there? Okay. One of the hottest places on earth. And so Jonah's out there sitting in the desert waiting on the Lord to destroy the city in northern Iraq, and the Lord says, you know what, Jonah, let me raise a plant to grow over you and give you some shade. Now, Jonah's just seen a whole city repent, turn from its evil ways, and cry out to the Lord, and he got mad about it. And now the Lord's given him a shade plant, and it uses the word exceedingly glad. He, he throws a fit about a city coming to the Lord. And then he has a little party about a plant that gave him shade. What Jonah doesn't know is the Lord is not trying to comfort him. The Lord is actually messing with his head right here because what actually happens in verse 7 is this. It says, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Now notice, did Jonah grow the plant anyway? The plant was a luxury item provided to him that he did nothing for, right? So if the Lord takes it away, does he have any right to be angry? No. And the Lord does. He sends the worm. It attacks the plant so that it withers. Then in verse 8, it says this, When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, 
and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. It's the exact opposite of last night's wind. Last night we did not have, we had a north, did anybody go outside last night at all? I went to Walmart and I barely made it from the parking lot to the street. It was the most miserable wind I think I've ever felt just about. Well, this is the opposite. This is a scorching east wind across the desert and it's just burning him up. He's probably having heat stroke here because it says it beat down and he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's wishing, this is a bit extreme. I mean, he could go back into the city, find some shade and get some water. He wants to sit there, hope, he wants the Lord to destroy the city even though they repented. God, you're merciful to me. You were just merciful to me two chapters ago. These people have asked for your mercy. I want you to destroy them. I'm willing to sit out here, have heat stroke, and be mad about this plant. I would rather die than see you do what you're going to do, which is save the city. And he goes absolutely berserk here, okay? This is not somebody who is mentally well, right? We agree with that right now? All right, not a person who's spiritually well. You see, Jonah cares about the wrong thing while souls of men and women are at stake. The very souls and lives of men and women are here to be saved, and Jonah is concerned about his plant. And I hear that, and I want to judge Jonah. But I want to know this. Do we live lives where men's and women's souls are at stake and we are more concerned with our own comforts as well? Because I have been that way, have you? Do you, um, in other words, we judge Jonah because, listen, Jonah is an extreme example. I don't think any of you would sit in the desert and pray for a city to be destroyed. I don't think you would do that. But Jonah is being used as an extreme example to say something about our hearts, which is this. Jonah cares about himself and his own people, and he hates the people different than them. And it's very possible that we're Jonah in that way. And then Jonah cares far more about his own personal comforts and his own personal security than the souls of people who are unlike him. And i got to be honest, sometimes we've all got some Jonah in us. It doesn't show up as extreme, right? You got what I'm saying? But there's a reason this has been given. I want you to recognize this. If you were put in Jonah's shoes, you very well may have run. You may very well have been disappointed how the Lord was how he was. And you may have been seeking your own comfort over the welfare of others. It doesn't look the same in our modern lives. And that's why they didn't write a book of the Bible about you or about me. They wrote it about Jonah. But listen... We would be wrong if we didn't see our place somewhere like Jonah in this story. But I have good news for you. This book is not, it's called Jonah, and Jonah seems like the main character. The Ninevites are important, the fish is there, but the main character in the book of Jonah is not Jonah or the Ninevites or the fish. I'm about to give you the most Sunday school answer of all time. The book of Jonah is about the Lord. It tells us something about the character of the Lord. We already know a lot of things about the character of the Lord. Chapter 1, we learn that the Lord is sovereign over all things. You cannot run from Him. In chapter 2, we learn that He has mercy when His people repent. 
And on chapter 3, we actually see that even when people who aren't his repent, they can become his, that they can, that repentance from people leads to repentance from the Lord about the disaster he's promised. And the, But I told you at the end of the story is where you find out what it's about. And the last two verses of Jonah are going to summarize the whole story for us. Let me say it real quick. He says this, he says to Jonah in verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you didn't do this, and it was an insignificant plant. You cared so much about what was insignificant. And the Lord's about to tell us in the last verse, do you want to know what's important to God? Are you ready to see what matters to God? The last verse, most important verse of the whole book of Jonah. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Right, so the Lord cares about the animals too is actually a part of that. That's a very interesting thing right there to see. Like, you know, the Bible's not generally like the great animal rights book of all time, but he cares about the cattle. I care about cattle because I like to cook a brisket. I think the Lord is caring about them because he cares about all of his creation. But the most important thing I want to talk about is this. He says there's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. In other words, the reason the Ninevites did not follow the Lord wasn't just because they were bad. It was also because they were ignorant. How can they believe on one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless a preacher is sent, right? Well, Jonah was sent so they would no longer be ignorant and they repented. But Jonah cared about the wrong things. But the Lord cares. The Lord has mercy on all the nations. If you want to know the message of Jonah, it's this, that the Lord has mercy on all nations. The Lord cares about all nations. The Lord has a desire to save all the nations. The Lord's different than Jonah, and the Lord's different than you, and the Lord's different than me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give us four very quick points. I know the life group leaders probably hate when I come here to preach, because I really try, I promise you, to not go beyond what I'm supposed to. But here we go. Four very quick points, but these are the four ways I want us to respond. The first is this. The Lord's mercy for all nations is good news for sinners. And it says believers up there. I actually think unbelievers also, but we're going to talk about believers next. So first of all, for sinners, let's talk about this. The Ninevites got some bad news before they got some good news, didn't they? In 40 days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. But listen, the gospel means good news. They got good news. They didn't actually get it from Jonah, but they got it when they cried out and they heard it. Listen to me very quickly. It may be that church is not usually your thing and you don't know why you're here this morning. Let me tell you why you're here this morning, because the Lord is sovereign. The Lord that commanded the winds and the waves in Jonah chapter 1, and that could make that plant grow and then die overnight, He is sovereign over our lives too. And if you're here this morning, but you don't know why, or if you're here and you've heard a message and you haven't really understood or gotten what this whole thing's about, the Lord has brought you here this morning for a reason, and it's to hear this, that the Lord has mercy on sinners, and that you need that mercy. 
And so let me tell you what I want you to do. If you are here, there's a thing called the gospel, and we're going to talk about the content of it very quickly, but here's the deal about the gospel. Well, let's talk about the content. The gospel says this, that the Lord wants to save you no matter what you've done. He does it through, just like he sent Jonah to Nineveh, he has sent a message to us. In fact, there is a New Testament person, a character, there's a person later on in the Bible who goes out of his way on a couple of occasions to compare himself to Jonah, okay? One of those happens actually in, if you go to Matthew chapter 12, you pick up verses 38 to 41, I'll summarize it, Jesus is being asked, oh yeah, I didn't tell you, the person's Jesus, but we were at church, so you probably already knew that we were going to talk about Jesus here, right? That's what we do, okay? And so here's what happens. Um, Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. See, Jesus was the miracle worker, put on the Jesus show. But he answered them and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, what is he talking about, the sign of the prophet Jonah? He's saying this. You all know the story about Jonah, and by this point, you know it, right? He says, there's something to learn from it for me. He says this. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Of course, that represents this. Jonah went to the belly of a fish, and the Lord brought him back to bring a message. Jesus didn't go into the belly of a fish, but Jesus went into the grave for three days and three nights, and the Lord brought him back to deliver the same message. What Jonah gave a picture of, Jesus is doing in real life, only he's going to do it better. And then verse 41 goes on, and it says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is something greater than Jonah, because you know how Jonah brought a message of repentance to these people? You know what? Jesus is bringing the same message to you. He died for you. He went into the grave, but he rose again to remind us that God can beat death. And if you're here and you want to know more about that message, because listen, salvation only happens when we turn to Jesus. So when we leave here in a couple of minutes, I promise it's just a few minutes, um, you can talk to me. I'll, be, I'll probably say, hey, there's some people here, and I'll be in here for a few minutes. Or there will be some people from this church, if you'd rather talk to them, that will be under a sign that says Guest Central out there. Please do not leave here without knowing that you have salvation in Jesus. Salvation is from the Lord. It's a message we've been taught. Secondly, the gospel is good news, or the Lord's mercy for all nations is good news even for Christians on the run. After all, Jonah knew the Lord and he ran anyway. Let me say this. The Christians on the run, I don't simply, I'm probably not talking to a lot of people who came to the Lord and you're here and you're out there living a horrible, debaucherous life and you somehow showed up today because most of those people aren't in church on Sunday morning. Let me be honest. I'm talking about Christians who have gotten so religious that they've forgotten to have mercy on other people. Have you you ever run across a self-righteous Christian before? Jonah was a self-righteous Christian. Let me say this. Some of you are running from the mercy of God, and you are trusting in your own righteousness. But let me say this. Did Jonah get a second chance even from that? And he did better for a little while. He must have come back to the Lord again, because how, how do we know these stories about Jonah being so awful if he didn't come back and tell somebody so it got written down, right? Okay, but let me say this. 
If you are someone who you go to church, you read your Bible, but you know, but you're not full of love, you're not full of compassion, you're like Jonah. Jonah was not beyond saving and neither are you. And that may mean you need to meet Jesus for the first time because you haven't had his character. Or it may just mean you need to come back and you need to be changed. And let me tell you two ways that I want us to be changed. First of all this, the Lord's mercy for all nations must change my heart. I'm going to tell you a big way in our day and age it needs to change your heart. There's a lot of words for how to describe Jonah. Jonah was... Ethnocentric is one word. He believed that the Lord should favor his people over all the other people. You could say that Jonah was a great Hebrew nationalist. There is a difference in something called patriotism, which is that I love my country and I want what's best for it. Shouldn't we have, shouldn't we love our country and want what's best for it? I think so. But there's a difference in that being a nationalist who's somebody who wants God to favor your nation above all others and forget them because I have an idolatry of my own people. And by the way, that doesn't simply mean your country, but that typically shows up your race or your culture or your language or your ethnicity, which is less word. You could at the end of the day just make it very simple and say this, Jonah was a very hateful, awful racist. That's what it really comes down to. The sin of Jonah is that he hated people who he viewed as foreigners. And let me say this. There are a lot of people in our churches today who speak the things of the Lord, but who, when people's skin shades, skin is a few shades darker than them, they're not as compassionate about them. There are people who, when they speak a different language, or when they have a different immigration status, or when they come from a different part of the world, or if they follow a different religion, they have a different, they start viewing them differently instead of viewing them as people who God just wants to save just as much as them. And let me say this, if you go worldwide, if you're a Christian, you have more black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ than you have white brothers and sisters in Christ. You know that. The world's a big place. And we live in a tragic thing in our society, but also in the church where we have identified ourselves more as conservatives or liberals or Republicans or Democrats or this tribe or that tribe. In all kinds of churches, more sometimes we've identified ourselves as Christian. But here is the deal. I don't care about all those affiliations, which I really don't. Okay, let me say here's what I care about. When you come across someone who's different than you, when you come across, is your first response to judge them or to hope that they're a person who can receive the mercy of the Lord just like you? Because that's what we are. And if you have feelings of prejudice that you hold in your heart, you're more Jonah. You're not being like, the Lord's heart is, doesn't the Lord communicate very clearly his mercy for all nations and for all peoples and for all things? And you're not, when you meet someone, your concern is not whether they look like you or speak like you or think like you or vote like you or have the same immigration status as you, but it is to have mercy no matter who we meet. That is what a Christian does. And it finally leads to action. Let me close with this. Uh, uh, Jonah is a missionary story. You know what the people need, what people need more than anything else? People need to be treated well. People need to be treated with justice. We need to have the right attitudes, and we need to repent when they're wrong. But the main thing people need is this. They need Jesus. And I want to encourage you this. 
Some of you the Lord may call to do what he did Jonah to do, to go to a foreign land and tell a foreign people about how God changed your life. And if the Lord does that in your heart, come talk to us, me, or somebody at Guest Central, or let the Lord deal with you on it and, and, and turn to him. Some of us need to just be, rededicate ourselves to praying for missionaries and giving to missions and things like that. I used to be a lot better about that stuff than I am now, and I need to, to grow in that way. You got what I'm saying? We need to be the kind of people who have a missionary heart. Didn't God show his missionary heart in Jonah? See, his compassion was this, that there were 120,000 people in Nineveh who were ignorant of the gospel. And we live in a world where there's a few billion people who are still ignorant of the gospel. So I'm going to bow our heads and pray. When I finish that prayer, we are dismissed. And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. We're going to pray for those nations, and we're going to pray for our own hearts. And if you need to do business with God, talk to me or step out to the Guest Central. I'm so glad to have worshipped you today, and I would do nothing more, nothing would give me more pleasure than to talk about what the Lord is doing in your life. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the chance to gather here at Calvary Woodworth. I'm so glad that your gospel is true, that you sent good news, and you sent it to me, that I would hear it and that I would believe it. Forgive me for the times I've withheld it for others, from the times I've judged others, from the times I've thought things I shouldn't, and the times I've been a Jonah. But also, I want to say this, you have been merciful to me every single time I have, and I thank you for it. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters out here, that our hearts would be hearts that wanted to give compassion to people who look like us and the people who don't, to all sorts of people. And I pray that we would have a missionary zeal and a heart that is like the Lord's heart, that we would walk out of here changed every time we come and worship together, especially this morning. And dear Lord, I believe that there are people in here, some who have never met you, some who think they have but have seen the hardness of their own hearts that need to come to salvation and repentance, and I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to them now that they would do that. I pray that none of us would leave here without responding in some way to the word of the Lord, and I pray this in the great and wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you all for having me.